Hi, everyone. I'm John C. Morley, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. Hey guys, good evening. It is John C. Morley here, serial entrepreneur, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show. We have a great show for you guys here tonight, uh, but let's get into that in just a second. We are on the J. Moore Tech Talk Show uh, second series, uh, which means we're in the year two, series two. We're on show 37. This show comes out every single Friday at 5.30 p.m. And everybody's been asking me, where is the podcast? Well, I got some good news for you. We are starting our podcast uh, probably with the episodes of September going forward. Uh, we will have a podcast officially on the air, um, I would say, probably by October 1st. So we have the video podcast, but we'll have the audio podcast that gets shared to all kinds of other platforms like uh, Pandora, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all those great things, right? So uh, that's coming. Thank you so much for your feedback. We have heard you, and we are going to do that. All right, everyone. If you're new here, uh, just go ahead and grab your smartphone, launch your camera app, point over the QR code like so, touch the yellow uh, ellipse. You'll get my link tree as easy as that. You can also get there by going to BelieveMeAchieve.com for more of my amazing, inspiring creations, ladies and gentlemen. So definitely... Uh, Definitely, definitely uh, check check that out, everyone. I think you're just going to fix my hat here a second. Okay, there we are. Um, we have a great show here tonight, so let's just get right into it. But thank you so much. Whether you're here at 5.30 p.m., 5.30 a.m., 3 a.m., 3 p.m., 12 noon, 12 midnight, I am so grateful from the bottom of my heart with you guys taking the time to be here and to check into my weekly uh, tech show. All right, so let's get right into this. Uh, today was an interesting day for me. Got up uh, very early. Well, not terribly early, but I was in front of my computer waiting with bated breath, logged into the Verizon site, and ready to click that button to order the iPhone 15 Pro Max. Now, I have to tell you, um, pre-ordering became available for the new iPhone 15 uh, Pro and Max today, Pro and the Max today, and many other um of the line so all the 15 line was available it started at 8 a.m prompt uh today september 15 2023 but unfortunately those of you that did not get in on the order today if there's nothing left well you're gonna have to wait probably till next week or friday till you can place your order in fact in many countries they have been told that they're not going to be able to place an order until ladies and gentlemen October or November. Ouch! Well, it definitely uh, pays to be the early bird, and I knew I wanted to get that. So you're probably wondering, what did that cost me? Well, in order to get the phone, you have to make sure your account is obviously current. You can't even have $1 outstanding, so they're really 
picky about that. The second thing is they actually lowered my plan from, I think it was like $39 a month, to now with this phone, even though it's a better phone, to like, I think it was like 15 20 less or something, which is pretty cool. And so um, we'll have to see. I'm supposed to get the phone on September uh, 22nd. So you know what I'm going to do for you guys? I'm going to unbox that phone right here live on the Jay Moore Tech Talk show. That'll be, yes, that will be on Friday. Um, I'm going to go through and actually take it out of the box and show you guys what it is and then after the show i'm going to go and set it all up so the following uh, week i'll give you my feedback of what i think of the phone but i know you guys love unboxing so i'm going to do one right here on the air so definitely check that out the other thing that was interesting about this iphone um 15 series is that the colors were a little bit weird what do i mean by that well <sighs> The colors were all done in this titanium world. So they had like a black titanium, a white titanium, a blue titanium, uh, a gray titanium, and a silver titanium. So this is their ideal uh, for a type of finish. So the way they define them is, as we said, black titanium. They really call it a white titanium, blue titanium, and they call it a natural titanium. Those are the new finishes. We've seen the blue before in the back, but they made some changes. So um, they claim that this is a lightweight, durable design. It's uh, uh, available in the 6.1 inch, the 6.7 inch, and it's also available, uh, as you know, with a uh, additional set of features for the Pro Max, which has a strong and lightweight titanium design, um, which is a first for an iPhone, right? It's a premium alloy, and uh, it's the same material that's used in making spacecrafts. Pretty cool. And so one of the highest, um, let's say, strength-to-weight ratios of any metal, making this Apple's lightest pro lineup ever. So both models feature a new refined brush texture, contoured edges, and the thinnest borders on the phone. I hope that doesn't cause damage to the phone. Um, so... Very interesting. I know the last one I had was the 13. I did not want to break down and get the 14. There was no purpose. There was really no reason to get the 14. So I decided to stay with the 13 because the new USB-C was not actually going to come out until the 15. Now, something else that is very interesting. They have gotten rid of that little button on the side of the phone. You know how they have this little, uh, this little notch here? You can see that little notch. Well, they replace that notch now with what they call a new action button. It replaces the single um, switch that you could toggle between ring, silent, and now it offers additional options so users can choose between accessing the camera or the flashlight or activating voice memos, uh, focus modes, translating, and other features like a magnifier or using shortcuts for more options. A press and hold gesture with uh, a fine-tuned haptic feedback um, and visual cues in the dynamic Island ensure the new button launches the intended actions very easily. So um, it does have the A17 Pro chip, uh, bringing the Pro performance and capabilities of the iPhone 15 Pro and the iPhone 15 Pro Max. The industry's first three nanometer chip, and uh, this should be pretty cool. The new CPU is 10% faster with micro architectural design improvements 
And the neural engine is now up to two times faster, powering features like autocorrect, personal voice, and the Pro Clash GPU is up to 20% faster and unlocks some new experiences that we're going to have to see. And it comes packed with a new six-core design that increases peak performance, right? All right. As we're putting more tax on these phones with having them do more things, we need them to have a faster, uh, more uh, capable processor. The A17 Pro has a dedicated AV1 decoder, enabling more efficient, high-quality video experiences. Uh, additionally, there's a new USB controller that enables USB 3 speeds on the iPhone for the first time, and now it supports much higher transfer speeds and video output of up to 4K at 60 frames per second. It does have the cinematic feature, but from what I've been reading, I haven't gotten the phone yet. It looks like it's probably going to be a letdown. It hasn't really done much. So it's a powerful pro camera system that's going to give you some pretty interesting uh, punch. Uh, the power of the computational graphics has a 48, get this, 48 megapixel main camera. That's amazing. It's built exclusively for the pro lineup, and it gives users the flexibility with a new 24 megabit pixel super high resolution default, offering incredible high quality, rich, full pictures at a pretty practical file size for storing and sharing. The main camera allows users to switch between three popular focal lengths, 24mm, 28mm, and 35mm, and you can even choose one as a new default. In addition, the 48-megapixel uh, Pro Raw feature, the main camera also supports a 48-megapixel HEIF image uh, format, for four times more resolution, and the iPhone 15 Pro features an expansive three times uh, telephoto camera. So um, we're going to have to see what all this means, but uh, definitely interesting. And the next generation portraits on the iPhone 15 Pro and the iPhone 15 Pro Max feature should be more sharper detail, more vivid colors, and of course, a better um, low light performance ratio. So that's going to be really cool. And um, there are some additional features on the phone, such as uh, a night mode that gets better uh, with sharper details and more vivid colors. Um, that's powered by a photonic engine, including the night mode portraits enabled by LiDAR scanner that's on the phone. New smart HDR capture subjects uh, are able to be included in the background with more true-to-life rendering. Supposed to have better quality photos, so it's going to be uh, definitely interesting and uh coming later this year the iphone uh 15 pro will add a new dimension to video capturing with the ability to record spatial video for apple vision pro that's interesting so they're working on some new software next level wireless performance and connectivity the iphone 15 pro lineup offers convenient new ways to charge find friends in busy places and stay connected while traveling and yes ladies and gentlemen the iphone 15 series all comes with the USB-C connector, a universally accepted standard as we know Europe had been pushing for, and they can't sell a phone over there unless it's a USB-C or any other uh, personal electronic device. So that's really cool. Um, users can also charge AirPods or Apple Watches directly from the iPhone with the USB-C connector. That's Pretty amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the support for the MagSafe uh, and future QI2 wireless charging. Uh, so that's uh, something that's coming up the pike. And so now when you go to roadside assistance, it'll ask you, what do you need? You're locked out, no fuel, um, 
a flat tire, vehicle does not start, or is just a vehicle stuck, or is there another issue? The phone app um, obviously gets major updates, as we know, like it has before. Um, messages get a new sticker experience, more powerful searching, uh, transcription of audio messages, and check-in, which allows users to automatically notify friends and family when they have made it to their destination. Name drop uh, gives user a new way to use AirDrop to more easily share contact information by simply bringing two phone devices together, and voila, the same gesture can be used to AirDrop content and more, and now users can step away from each other and finish sending files over the internet. So pretty cool. Um, there's some more customizations in the setup screen, uh, the main home screen, um, interactive widgets, as we've seen before. So the iOS 17 delivers many more updates. Uh, there's also Journal. There's a new app that helps iPhone users reflect and practice gratitude. I love this through something called journaling. And there are even improvements to the autocorrect and the dictation system that's supposed to make this phone uh, a keeper. Uh, also, the phone's supposed to be better for the environment. The iPhone 15 Pro and the iPhone 15 Pro Max are designed with the environment in mind as Apple continues to strive to work toward its 2030 goal of making every product carbon neutral, from the design to manufacturing to customer use. And they're even trying to go forward with clean electricity across the entire supply chain um, and designing products with recycled and low-carbon materials. Pretty cool, ladies and gentlemen. That is really, really cool. So when I went on that website, uh, I have to tell you the experience was not the most pleasant thing because first time I clicked, it froze. I went back, and um, then I put my address in, and the Verizon site actually put my address in twice, so I had to get them to fix that. But it was not as user-friendly as I expected it to be. And yes, I'm going to be getting it on the 22nd. And so this phone, if you had to buy it outright, I think it's right around $1,300. So I got the blue phone with the 512 uh, gigabytes. They also played another little game, which I wasn't crazy about. On Verizon's site, I don't know if it was a bug or not, but you couldn't get the one terabyte option on the blue phone. I could only get it on the black. I don't know if that was something Apple was doing or was something that Verizon was doing. Uh, the site was very picky because it did not let you get in to do the upgrade until it was exactly 8 a.m. So you could start the process, but you could not actually finish it until uh, it was 8 a.m. So really, really cool. And uh, I'll give you more feedback about what's happening and um, how I like or don't like the new i15 um, Pro Max. Again, I have the 13 Pro Max right here. I'm expecting things like better Bluetooth uh, technology, um, less disconnects with the car and things like that. And I'm also expecting to have better battery life. So I'll let you know uh, how that works out. Stay tuned, all right? So I want to talk to you guys about something really cool, how to program a robot arm. So before we can program a robot arm, we have to understand how a robot is classified. Robots are classified by the number of axes. So axes are basically uh, the joints for the robot. Now they come in, uh, you can have a one axis, a two axis, three axis, four, five, six, and even a seven axis. Uh, six are the most popular, which is equivalent to the human arm and hands. 
but a seventh means that the robot will be able to move up and down the assembly line. That's where the seventh axis comes from. And there's even robots uh, in, I'd say, R&D that are going to be able to go up to 12 axes. Again, six is equivalent to the human arm and hand. So I think that's pretty cool. So that's the first thing we have to realize in that the more axes we use, okay, um, the more expensive the robot's going to be. All right, that, that's also important. So let's dive into a little about these axes. So some joints can have two of these uh, controls, which we call servo motors. Now, the robots today use servo motors because they are very specialized in what they do. So a servo motor basically has the motor, a control circuit, um, and a sensor that can determine not only its speed and also its exact current position. So you might be asking me, hey, John, how do these motors hold this position? Great question. Well, there's an encoder on, an encoder on there on each uh, servo motor. And so there are batteries uh, that are in the, um, uh, in the uh, robot. Um, and so whenever the uh, power is on, it can very easily you know, have those uh, configurations held. But also if the power goes off, they also can be helped because the battery holds their what we call home position. Now, normally the robots are programmed with a home position when you get them from the factory, but oftentimes they're not what you want, so you might have to set them. If you do happen to turn off the machine and the batteries are low, you're going to lose all of your home positions, and you're going to have to go through and set them off. That's a pain in the neck. So when you get the prompt that your batteries are low, do go and change them, but don't turn the power off or you're going to lose all your home settings so i think that's pretty cool so servo motors uh, again are chosen because uh they're having a capability of very precise movements allowing to operate within tight tolerance uh specifications and this is really cool we've seen these in um remote control cars we've seen them in a lot of different things but remember a robot needs to be uh very precise okay there are two types of motors that exist. One is an AC motor, uh, which is actually controlled by voltage and frequency. Um, the voltage, think of voltage as the pressure coming in, which is the force from the electricity. And the frequency, so if we talk about, a, let's say, a 115, 120 AC circuit, or we talk about a 220 circuit or 320, what happens is, it constantly pulls, so it goes one way, then it goes the other way. It goes one way, then it goes the other way. On a DC circuit, it just keeps pulling in one direction. So that's why we call it AC alternating circuit. Now, alternating circuit uh, motors, in this case servo motors, are used in um, industrial robots because they can handle the challenges that will come up, such as high surges uh, and spikes. Uh, that could come through any type of factory lines. So that's uh, really important that they can handle those, uh, you know, those surges, those spikes. And so AC servo motors will last a very long time. Again, remember, they are very precise. And the thing about them is that they're designed to be a workhorse. So uh, there are a variety, ladies and gentlemen, of robot types. 
One type of robot is uh, what we call a SCARA robot, which is a selective compliance articulated robot uh, arm, and it's a kind of industrial robot used for pick and place or assembly operations uh, quickly with precise accuracy. They're very efficient, um, but they're often limited by the weight or the payload, which is how much they can lift. Um, and so that's a problem. I don't know if you know this, uh, but SCAR robots can operate with intolerance ranges of less than 10 microns, as opposed to 20 microns for a six-axis robot. So you can obviously see why people may choose to have a SCARA uh, robot. Now, six-axis robots are more suited for industrial manufacturing where there is a greater need for flexibility, strength, and reach. Uh, so that's very, very um, important. And these robots can rotate, bend, move in an arc, and grip objects at different angles. Now, since they have six axes, which we call six uh, types of free movement, uh, or six uh, points of freedom. Objects can be rotated um, or tilted, making them more suitable for advanced pick-and-place applications. There's another type of robot that I want to talk about today. It's called a, uh, the Delta robot. So Delta robots are another type, and they have a base that is connected to each joint parallelogram. It consists of a base platform with three uh, actuating arms attached to a pair of arms to form a passive arm. Now, each passive arm connects to a traveling platform and utilizes three axes for freedom in three directions. Remember, each axis gives the robot one um, point of freedom that it can move. So Delta robots are best suited for assembly, dispensing, pick-and-place, material handling, part transfers, and robotic packaging applications. Uh, those wanting to use a Delta robot must ensure that the part is lightweight and is a standard shape as it operates at very fast speeds. So um, in order to understand robots a little bit, we will have something called a station. And normally uh, there's programming. We'll get into that in just a second. But a robot connects to something called a robot controller, which talks to the robot. The power comes to the robot through the robot controller. And also, that is where your um, teach pendant is going to uh, be hooking up. So there are a few different ways uh, to program a robot. Let's uh, get into how you can program a robot, all right? So ways to program a robot, one is called the teach pendant. Now, the teach pendant has uh, basically, a, it's usually wired. And usually you're in very close proximity to the robot, so you have to be careful. So there's something on the back of it called a dead man's switch. Now, many years ago, they uh, actually came up with a dead man's switch on a train. You might say, well, why is that? Well, it was a way of making sure that the conductor was still paying attention. If the pedal was not constantly pressed, the train would stop. Okay. And so in the robot world, they added something called a deadman switch, which is actually two little paddles or two switches. Now, the switches have three positions on them. You only need to press one of them. If you don't press anything, they're in position one, which means that the robot is off. Okay? It's a safety. If I hold one of them and I press it, just click it once, that's position two. Position two means that the robot is engaged 
and it's on and it's able to be programmed. So in order to program a robot with a teach pendant, you have to turn the switch to where it says on to allow programming. You have to hold one of the dead men switches with your finger so you click it once. The reason that they have the third position is if somebody panics and you're holding it and you just you know push it all together, it will stop the robot. So in position one and position three, the robot will be completely inoperable. In position two, the um, robot is enabled. So why do they call it a deadman switch? So uh, the reason comes from many years ago and the fact that if that switch is not depressed, again, it was a lot more simpler many years ago, it's a way of making sure the operator is still alive and well. They have a deadman switch on a, um, on a treadmill. Now, it's usually just something simple where they have the string and it connects and you put it on your belt. And so if you were to, let's say, slip off, okay, or pull back, um, you'd fall off and it would pull the clip out and it would immediately stop the motor. All right, now they have deadman switches where there's uh, electric eyes and if you get too far back, it'll shut the treadmill off. So again, some pretty, some pretty cool stuff. But again, they placed them on robots because if you're working with a robot and suddenly I tell it to move and now it comes around and it's about to hit me and it could knock me over, well, my hands would drop and the robot would actually stop, would actually stop doing what it's going to do automatically. So I think that's probably something that's uh, very, very interesting. And Deadman switches are not new. They have been around for a very, very long time. So in order to program a robot in the first method, which is with the teach pendant, you have to make sure that the switch is turned to the on position, enabling programming. The second thing you need to do is you need to make sure that um, you are holding one of the dead man switches in the click position so it's actually in position two. All right. Now, very, very important is that when you go to program a robot with the teach pendant, you have to tell the robot which axes that you want to move. So there's something called a joint move, okay? And when we do a joint move, we pick which joint we want and tell it how we want to move it. Um, I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. So there's another thing called a linear move. If we don't, we do that, the robot will automatically figure out which joints it needs to move to get to the appropriate uh, position. All right, so that's called a linear move. So there's another method for programming a robot. It's called the lead-through method, or sometimes they call it the lead-through-the-nose method. Uh, this is where the operator moves the robot in a position that he or she wants it to take. Uh, this method is often used uh, with uh, welding and spray paint where the technician of the craft will be able to guide the robot through. And as it's doing that, it's actually learning the paths that the robot is taking. Um, the lead-through method does not require um, as uh, sophisticated a programming as the others do, so they don't have to be um, really an expert with that. So um, the lead-through method program allows the controller to, to record each motion or path um, as the operator guides the robot, taking less time than the teach pennant. The teach pennant takes time because what you have to do is you have to tell it whether you're going to uh, do a move, if you're going to do it as a, uh, a joint, uh, if you're going to do a linear move. Then you have to give it the point. Um, then you have to in indicate after you give it the point 
you have to give it some some other valuables uh, variables I should say like uh, you know are you going to move it uh, what percentage depending on what it is um, after you finish the move is it going to be a fine move uh, which means it's going to move very gracefully, or as a CNT which means it's just going to abruptly end uh, so those are very important things and sometimes you may want to add an ACC uh, command to the end to indicate that you wish the acceleration to show uh, how fast the robot will start the particular movement. So I think that's really a cool. Um, and so when you change that movement, that has a very big uh, impact. And so that is programming it with method two. Method three, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call um, basically offline programming. So you can use a virtual environment, uh, we call it an IDE, Integrated Developer Environment, where the programmer can choose the robot they want. Uh, they'll have a robot station, they'll add the robot that they want, and add the controller, and then they can program that in Python, C, C Sharp, C++, etc. And the environment is a great way to design a program without taking the robot offline and um, being able to see how it works. However, it's very important that you understand that when you have done programming and you've tested out in the uh, virtual environment, you still may need to actually test it in the live environment because of compatibility and also because the real world um, is oftentimes different than the virtual world. There might be something that you missed. The um, offline programming is used uh, a lot of times, especially when there's a lot of robots and people don't want to have downtime, and uh, typically they have programmers that can do that. Now, there is another method. So, again, we have the teach pendant. Uh, we have the uh, lead-through programming or lead-through-the-nose uh, lead programming where you take the nose, they call that the end, the nose. Or we have something uh, that is called autonomous uh, programming. So this is a little different. So what you do, uh, and an example of this might be a welding robot where you upload a 3D model of the object and you set the welding parameters where you want it to weld and um, it figures out the correct paths and points to be at automatically. Now these robots use computer-aided vision to detect the object and adjust if any deviations are found. If they are, it'll go back and, and finish what needs to be done. So that's uh, a different type so we have the uh first method i showed you which was the i told you about which was the teach pendant then we have the uh lead lead through the nose program then we have the offline programming and then we also have the yes on more sophisticated robots we have the autonomous programming which uses um the computer uh vision now um when we think about Programming. We have to talk about the views for programming. All right, so the programmer must understand how the robot sees things, whether it's a teach pendant uh, or the offline method, whatever it is. In the id, we have to create a station where we can select the robot type. Uh, and by selecting the robot type, we're telling it whether we want two, three, four, six, seven, or more axes. Um, and so that's really important. And the robot can see the world as a worldview, a local view, a tool view. Um, but what do they mean? So a worldview causes the robot to see things from the base of itself, from the bottom of the robot, okay? The local view allows the robot to see things from the object's perspective. And the tool view allows the robot to be moved regarding 
the end of its tool. Robots have three primary coordinates that can be utilized. Uh, one is the X, which is the rolling, and it rotates the tool on its center axis, okay? Um, y, pitching, moves the tool vertically, and Z, yawing, uh, turns the tool left and right. And each using um, having two numbers to identify the specific location. Now, when we move a robot's join or axis, it can be done with um, a motion of either a joint, a linear, or a circular. And the instruction code will start with, like I said, a J, an L, or a C, and uh, things like that. So once we've done that, then uh, we'll have a percentage if it's a joint. Uh, if we need to specify the termination type, like a fine or CNT, and that tells whether it's going to move smoothly or the CNT if it's going to be a jerky end. Sometimes you may want to add the ACCXX to indicate that you wish the acceleration um, to basically slow uh, the motion of how fast the robot will start the particular movement. Uh, so joint movements will quickly move from point A to B in the fastest manner possible. The robot will only move in a straight line when talking about linear movement. A movement type called a circle will also move in half circles. So if we think about linear linear will go from point here to point here a linear movement okay will move in a straight line a joint movement might do different things to get to the other point so that's really important to understand robots today can also have seven axes we're talking about six is the most common the seventh is actually the robot being on a platform that can move through the factory so we would say that the robot um has another freedom to move through the assembly line to the next operation now, robots can be easily programmed, as we said, in various ways. But the key to understand with robots is how you see it so that it can be translated into instructions. If you don't understand how to do that task in the normal world, how can you ever expect a robot to do that task? So I know robots seem really exciting. And there are robots out there from a couple hundred dollars up to some really good ones that you can play with at home for maybe a couple thousand dollars, and even some for around a thousand dollars, and some that have additional attachments you can add to them, and some of them that use Raspberry Pi. Uh, there's some that allow you to have block technology where you can just drag and drop things, so uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, the one where you actually will move the robot in specific positions by moving it is what a lot of pharmaceuticals use because doctors use it, and they want to illustrate how a procedure might be done or how it's holding a let's say an item in a demonstration so robots are very very interesting and yes they can help us to become a lot more efficient than we could without them but a lot of people will waste so much time with robots and they haven't even figured out how to do the task manually in life see that's a big problem you have to know how to perform the task in life manually, and then we can worry about automating. I've talked about that in my RPA, Robotic Process Automation. And so understanding that robots get classified by the axis, there's also another type of robot. Uh, robots are painted based on the type. So a robot that's like a red or a yellow uh, or orange, they're typically robots that work away from people, except when they're being programmed. 
a collaborative robot, which is a green robot, they're painted green typically, are robots that can work in very close proximity to a human being. But again, it's important to know the safeties of robots. It's important to understand that mastery comes with practice and continuous learning. So as you dive deeper into robotics, I'm sure you're going to encounter new challenges, ideas, and of course, innovations. Embrace them with open arms, uh, robotic arms, that is, and keep refining your craft. Because being able to get a robot just to pick up a pen or maybe being able to just knock down a set of dominoes is really an amazing thing. I'm going to go back to something I've talked about in some of my other shows called the Ikea effect. Now, you all know Ikea, the store. Well, the Ikea effect is that whenever you build something or make something yourself, the amount of worth, okay, or value assigned to something goes up dramatically when you have built it yourself. That's why Ikea has become so successful for that main purpose. So robots are going to keep uh, advancing, but right now we can do a lot with a robot arm. And uh, robots can, um, I, like I said, be used for uh, projects at home, like maybe uh, doing painting, uh, similar to the way you would do finger painting. They can be used to do uh, carving. So there's a lot of small applications that you can use a robot for at home. And so there's a company out there I want to talk about, um, uh, FANUC. And FANUC stands for Fujitsu Automated uh, Numeric System. Because a robot operates by numeric. So I told you I was going to tell you more. Now, when you start programming a robot, let's say I want to rotate the tool on its center axis. So I select the axis, um, the joint, the axis, and then I'll put in P and then the number of the brackets for where it's going. Like if it's going to go P and 1 would be the point that I've stored in that register. PR1 would indicate a global position register. And um, that's really important to understand is that in order to get a coordinate, okay, you need to have either two numbers for an X, a Y, or a Z. So giving it two coordinate numbers on the X will put the uh, robot in a certain rolling state. Two coordinates on the Y, okay, will go ahead and, and put that into its pitching state, okay, and moving the tool vertically. And the Z, yawning, turns the tool left or right. And remember, each has two numbers to identify the specific locations. Very similar to the way we would actually uh, chart a point on a graph. So robots basically take a number and they go from there. Now, you might ask me a question, well, John, how do you do things like open a door and stuff like that? Because you might be talking about a CNC machine, right? Uh, computer number uh, uh, machine. And so... CNC uh, has been around for, I'm going to say, a very, very long time. And if you're asking me how long, a very long time. Um, a CNC machine is basically, um, it's, 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 a, um, it's a programmable machine, okay? And it is a numeric control machine. Uh, a CNC machine is basically a process uh, 
um, that looks at numbers and decides where to put the robot or the axis, what have you. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control. And so that's really what a robot is doing. You're telling it what joint to move, if you're doing joint move, and then it goes from there. If you're telling it linear move, then it will automatically figure how to get into that position that you've looked at. So that's why it's really important that you understand the X, Y, and Z uh, axis and how you're talking to the robot, especially if you're using another program and they're addressing it in worldview and you're addressing it in tool view, that might be confusing. Now, let's say I have this, this machine, this, this CNC uh, machine, and I'm going to use it to make some holes. Oh, the computer numerical control. I'm getting ready to put the, um, let's say, block in there that has to be cut, the metal, let's say, square. And before I can do that, I have to call something to open up the door. So there is a, a program that's pre-stored on um, the system whenever you buy these different things. And when you call it, it will allow the door to open. So that is really um, cool. Uh, there could be something like change tool. Uh, you can call a change tool command. It'll change the tool, and then you can tell it which tool to pick up. But it really just uses numbers, and these numbers are its coordinates. Just like every single um, place in the world has a latitude and longitudinal value. Does that make sense to everybody? So in order to have a map, we have to have we have to have uh, a latitude and a longitude, okay? And so we enter in the, the uh, let's say, the degrees of uh, the north, the east, but we get the latitude and we get the longitudinal. And when we do this, all right, it makes uh, a big difference. Now, a lot of people will put in numbers with a comma that's wrong. You have to remember that the uh, latitude and longitudinal values are actually decimals, okay? And so you can go to Google and you can literally type a location and ask what the latitude and latitudinal and longitudinal uh, coordinates are for that. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say to me, hey, John, uh, I want to get a robot. I want to start doing this. Well, first thing is a robot's not going to cost you 100 bucks. A good robot's going to cost you about $1,000. And so the way these robots work is the more axes they have, which is the more points of freedom, the more expensive they are. Also, the more ways that they have in programming, like if one robot uh, was able to do vision control uh, and see things, that would cost more money. And so using a robot takes our eyes to see how we would do something like if i want to pick up this pen and i want to place it down here right very simple pick okay now they have robots that literally just do pick and place and that's all they do and there's one company that makes one that's pretty cool they uh basically take a scanner to scan the part that you want to pick up and then when they tell it to run, it goes and picks up any part with that position or 
the barcode on that position and, and it just moves really quickly. So that's very handy when you're running an automated uh, type facility. And I would encourage you to go over to BelieveMeAchieve.com and definitely read my article. I think it's about 14, 1500 words about how to program a robot. I think that will really impress you and it might encourage you to dive deeper and maybe do some of your own robot programming. All right. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, that. And I know robots are going to become more and more of our future. So why not decide to start learning how a robot works? All it does is operate by a coordinate system. That's it. You give it a coordinate and it knows how to get there. But it has to know what it, its home points are before it can go ahead and do that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so a lot happening with this, a lot happening with uh, the iPhone. But what about what's going on on Capitol Hill? Tech leaders agree on the AI regulation but are divided on how in the Washington Forum. Like, I mean, what's going on with this? I mean, you know, uh, this, is, this is a major, major issue. And I frankly don't think that uh, Washington knows how to handle it. I I'm being I'm being very clear on this. Why? I think there's just so many people out there. Uh, you know, the delegation of the top tech leaders, including Sundar, uh, Elon, Mark, uh, Sam Altman. Uh, they were in Washington on Wednesday for a closed-door meeting with the U.S. senators to discuss the rise of the artificial intelligence and how it could be regulated. Uh, the discussion uh, definitely, um, I'm going to say, is a problem uh, because as more people you know, get involved with AI, I think it's going to cause people to just be a little concerned about what's going on in you know, their world. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And so, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people out there don't have a clue. But one thing is very certain. We need to start putting some regulation in place now. Because if we don't, how are we ever going to handle anything that comes up? Now, you might say, gee, it's not the robot's fault. You're going to point it back and saying it's the company's fault. It's the programmer's fault. Well, yes, but I think there needs to be an SOP, a standard operating procedure that allows or disallows for things that can happen. And I want to share a very interesting rule. Do you guys all know the three laws uh, of robotics? So there are three laws of robotics, and this came out from the iRobot book. Uh, in 1942 by Isaac Asimov. So the three laws of robotics are basically a set of rules devised by science fiction author, as I mentioned. And these rules are very, very straightforward, but I want to share with them. The first law states, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. That's rule one. Rule two, the robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Rule three, 
a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law now these are all very straightforward things but our technology right now does not even have these laws they're like somewhere oblivion all right you know guys i have really enjoyed being with you tonight and talking so much about robotics and helping you guys understand that our future is very bright but we as citizens we as people we as business owners uh employees contractors managers what have us volunteers we have a responsibility to how we're going to use technology you've heard me say before technology is not good technology is not bad how people choose to use it is what makes it so i've got two quick things i want to share with you one is google to pay 155 million in settlements over the location tracking ouch 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 that's that's gotta hurt i would i would not want to be google that's i gotta i tell you i would not want to be google um and uh the issue that they're gonna probably say is oh you know we didn't know we didn't know i mean you know they pawn everything off to their people overseas and then they play the game like oh we didn't know that was an issue we had no clue so i feel you know people are not stupid to what google's doing and Google has agreed to pay the $155 million to settle claims by California and a private plaintiff that the search engine company misled consumers about how it tracked their location and used their data without their consent, without their consent, without their consent. Both settlements resolve claims that Alphabet Inc., which is the parent of, of Google, deceive people into believing they maintained control over how Google collected and used their personal data. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Google is going to pay the piper. The company was accused of being able to profile, quote-unquote, people and target them with advertising even if they turned off their location history. Ouch, 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 ouch. Again, I do not want to be Google. Um, and deceive those people about their ability to block ads. Now, I want to quote what Google said. Google, actually, one of the people said there uh, that was actually arguing, the California attorney actually said this, quote, Google was telling its users one thing, that it would no longer track their location once they opted out. But doing the opposite, continuous uh, tracking of its users' movements for its own commercial gain, that was a problem. And so the California settlement required Google to pay $93 million and disclose more about how it tracks people's whereabouts and uses the data it collects. So they had asked for $93 million. They're paying $155 million. I think Google knows they got their hand caught in the cookie jar. All right. So I have one more story, and I think this is going to really be heart-wrenching. TikTok was fined 345 million euros over handling of children's data in Europe. What the heck is going on, people? Like, I mean, are we going to ban TikTok or what? Because they're getting into a lot of problems. And these problems are going to hurt innocent people. You heard me. They're going to hurt innocent people. This Chinese-owned video platform has grown rapidly. 
And among teenagers around the world in the recent years, it breached numerous uh, European Union privacy laws between July 31st, 2020 and December 31st, 2020. Ireland's Data Protection Commissioner, DPC, said this in a statement several times. So TikTok has been fined 345 million euros. That's $370 million in the U.S. for breaching privacy laws regarding the processing of children's personal data in the European Union. And its regulator in the block had just stated this on Friday and, and this past Friday today. The Chinese-owned short video platform is becoming a problem. It is the first time ByteDance own TikTok has been reprimanded by the DPC. That's pretty serious. Yeah, the DPC, that is so very, the Data Protection Commissioner. And the lead regulator in the European Union for many of the world's top tech firms due to the location of their regional headquarters in Ireland. So I think if they don't like clean their act up, I think uh, TikTok's uh, going to get a personal invitation for a cease and desist. I don't know about you guys. But we've got to be careful, whether it's Google, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Meta. When you collect data on people, you have to operate smartly. If you collect credit card data from people, you have to destroy it immediately. If you get online, you have to follow certain procedures for the PCI compliance, right? Um, if you're using a third party, you got to make sure they're doing compliance because you could be still liable. Data has always been an issue in our world, all right? It's how we use it, okay, and how we choose to manage it and discard it. That's a problem. Hey, guys, do you know who I am? I am John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. It has been a fantastic, amazing time being with you tonight uh, here on the J. Moore Tech Talk Show, September 15th, 2023. Podcast coming in October, taking all the episodes from September. You're going to love that. And not only that, ladies and gentlemen, we've got some amazing guests coming up. I got a couple great AI guests coming. I, I have a guy who was used to a former employee of Google from their AI department. So we got a lot of fun things. So definitely stick around. And if you want to know about tech and you want to know about technology, keep yourself set right here at the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Check out all my amazing content by scanning that QR code. Go to BelieveMeAchieve.com. Why not make that choice? Click on BelieveMeAchieve.com. Click on that link, help keep our content free. Make the choice. Buy my team a cup of coffee, a bowl of fruit, or a scrumptious plate of desserts. We'll be so grateful. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we'll invest that technology of money into new hardware, uh, new software, new facilities and staff to give you the most jaw-dropping content. Not only in the motivation, but in what you need to know about technology but we're afraid to ask. I'm going to see you guys next week. If you don't catch me on another one of my podcasts or one of my other short shows real soon, it has been a blast being with you. Check out BelieveMeAchieve.com. And don't forget to click on John C. Morley's recent articles and the one on how to program a robot arm. Let me know if there's something you want me to cover, and I'll be happy to do that. Or if you'd like to be a guest, if you've been a tech author, or if you have something that you think would be compelling. Again, this is not a sales show, and I make that statement very clearly. I'm looking for people that want to provide value. If you were a tech author, uh, entrepreneur, and you have something you'd like to share, reach out to me, and we'll set up a pre-chat and see if you're a good fit. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your 
um, Friday night. I'm going to catch you next week. Podcast coming out in October or sooner, taking all the episodes from September and beyond. So we are growing. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We're going to be hitting the third season of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show on January. I cannot believe that. Have yourself an amazing rest of your night. And I'm going to catch you for more Jay Moore Tech Talk next Friday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Be well. And remember, when it comes to technology, be smart when you shop and when you use it. Technology is not good. It's not bad. It's how you, as an individual, choose to apply it to your life and others. Make the choice. Use it responsibly and not get yourself and others into hot water. Have a great night, everyone.